Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Mean Old Lion Media presents Wardrobe Boss. Hey there. I'm glad you're joining us on Season 2 of the Wardrobe Boss Podcast. I'm Eliza Perilla, your host at the Wardrobe Boss, and I'm here to chat about personal styles, successful mindsets, and living your best authentic life today. Uh, I created this podcast to share my knowledge of fashion, style, and home organization in hopes that my guest and I provide some valuable takeaways and we can all live a styled life together. Uh, it really is my great pleasure to provide visual solutions to everyday individuals that don't feel great about their wardrobe. And that can cover many topics. However, today we're going to talk about trends. Yeah, this is a little bit of a popular topic here. Um, you ever wonder how fashion houses come up with the latest trends? They rely on fashion forecasters. Yeah, that's what I said. Fashion forecasters predict the textures, the materials, the colors, the fabrics, the graphics, the print of the season, accessories, footwear, even street style. And, you know, they decide, hey, this is what's going to be presented on the runway and in the stores for the upcoming season. So today on the Wardrobe Boss podcast, we are pleased to welcome Sophie Weedhaas, a fantastically fabulous fashion forecaster who will educate us on how it all works. Sophie, did I pronounce your name correctly? So close, but honestly, I'm so used to it. And soon enough, I'll have a new last name. So it's totally good. (laughs) Sophie Weidhaus, thank you so much for having me. Oh, thank you so much for being here. Welcome to the podcast. Um, I don't want to be too technical. I mean, we do know each other, but I kind of just wanted to bring my listeners a general idea of what a fashion forecaster does. So can you tell us in your own words what that is and how you got into this career? Of course. Yes. So really the way I got into the, uh, this career is really from having been to sc- going to school for fashion communications. So fashion has been in my blood for really as long as I can remember, given that my mom studied fashion design and both my grandmothers were always into design and sewing and so on. So it was really in my blood to be working in the fashion space. I didn't think that design was necessarily for me, but I loved the business of fashion. And so that's really what I honed in on from studying fashion communications. And so while in school, that is where the world of trend forecasting was really introduced to me and I learned a lot more about it. And so really, that's where the initial interest peaked. And so, uh, yeah, a lot of people don't realize the influence that trend forecasting really has on the industry and really what that means. And so... Really, it's a, you know, a culmination of being able to analyze different consumer behavior shifts, what that means for innovation, what that means for product. And so really taking um, you know, a scope in what's going around in society um, from a consumer lens. And then what does that mean for production and going forward? So really being able to look at you know, from macro shifts in society and what that also means down to more of a micro lens as well. So super interesting, always interesting to have a little taste of what's coming in the future. You sound so passionate about it. And I think it's so important to be passionate about 
what you do, especially if you're going to make a career out of it, right? Of course. I mean, that's the fashion industry in general. I would say you have to be passionate about it because otherwise, you know, why be involved in it? It's for the love of it. Exactly. Um, What are the biggest changes that you've seen in fashion trends besides the obvious, like, which is loungewear since the pandemic? Yeah. I mean, that's, of course, a huge one for obvious reasons. You know, people being at home, wanting to be more comfortable, working from home, wearing a you know, a nice top and then sweats on the bottom, you know, for that work from home life. But aside from that, uh, another big one that, of course, we're seeing everywhere is that Y2K trend. And I think that's a good example of this revival of trends that always, you know, there always tends to be this um, cycle of trends coming in and out. And so ultimately, I think that's one that I think we've all been seeing. And there's obviously no coincidence when you go into one store, and then you go into another store, and you're seeing these same colors, and you're seeing these same cuts and styles, um, you know, out there in the market, there's no coincidence. It's not like everybody's um, making an educated guess, or I should say, it's not like they're making a a random guess, It's, it's all educated, and there's all reason for everything. And so I think really the Y2K trend that we're seeing everywhere nowadays um, really stems from that feeling of nostalgia and coming out of the pandemic, so much uncertainty and discomfort and unknown. There's definitely this comfort in having a sense of, you know, what once was better times, the good old times. There's, you know, that's a great example of a more macro concept, a bigger picture, but really then what does it mean for fashion and designing? Um, so there's no coincidence that, you know, that trend has come back around. So for my listeners who don't know what exactly the Y2K trend is, I, I have a good understanding, but can you just explain that a little bit? Yes. So definitely this revival of the early 2000s, maybe even a little of the late 90s, you know, bringing back, for instance, you know, more of the lower rise jeans we've seen, for an example, we've seen the the skinny leg jean with high rise for so long now. And well, personally, I think that's always here to stay. Uh, I don't think you can really go wrong, honestly, when it comes to some staples like that. But we're seeing the wider leg again, we're seeing, you know, that lower rise uh, cut again. So a lot of those trends from the early 2000s that we remember, um, you know, have definitely made its revival again. Yeah, I think it's almost like the way I see it is like they want to generate more happiness. So they take you back to something that's nostalgic to generate that, to kind of project that mindset, right? Absolutely. How has fashion forecasting evolved? Because at this point, it's obviously necessary. It is. And what's funny is when I think back as to when forecasting really became a little bit more mass market, a little more aware um, from people who maybe weren't even working in the, in the fashion industry. I really can't help but think back to Delaware's Prada Um, being that, you know, specific scene where um, Miranda is commenting specifically on the blue cable knit sweater that she's wearing and is ultimately saying something along the lines of, you know, the people who chose what you're wearing today is it right in this room. So of course that was a, a bad <laughs> paraphrasing of that, but you and any of your listeners who I trust have seen the movie, I think can think back to that being maybe an eye opening moment for a lot of culture and society outside of just the fashion realm who are watching that movie 
um, to really get a sense of, oh, wow, there's thought and reasoning that really goes into all these design decisions. So I think that was probably where it really stemmed from, um, from a public perspective that I wanted to, you know, touch on. But really how it's evolved is I think that's a good example um, of, you know, the industry leaders in the space really having a large say on whatever it is that's trending. You know, if if Vogue said it, it's going to be the number one. But the way that it's really evolved is really understanding more of what consumers are wanting. And I think a lot of that also uh, goes into really wanting to have a better understanding of what consumers are wanting and needing to really relate to different brands and be loyal to the different companies. And so, you know, there's strategy in that and really understanding what it is that they're looking for to meet their needs. And ultimately, I think that strengthens a lot of relationships that brands and companies have with their customers. And so that's definitely probably been the biggest shift is that there's a lot more listening um, and less telling than maybe there once was before. Thank you for answering that that way, because that was a great example. Even another scene is when um, Anne Hathaway is in the elevator with the owner, right? And he says, hey, uh, to Stanley Tucci, how much are those raincoats costing me? And he said, oh, just you know, $8 billion, whatever, $8 million. And he was like, okay. And her eyes were wide. I was like, what are you talking about? So yeah. Um, thank you for answering that because that was a great scene, um, in the movie. Um, are there any trends just for you, like personally that you're like, Oh God, please don't come back around. I I think one in particular that I have to note, which is actually on the beauty side, um, but I have to bring it up in relation to that Y2K trend. So looking back at the early 2000s, you know, the 90s, um, we have spent so much time and effort growing our brows back to a (laughs) recovering from the overplucking and the super skinny brow. And so, you know, Maybe we'll see it becoming you know, coming back a little bit more, but um, I would prefer if we can keep our brows, you know, the way we've gotten them back to. <laughs> <laughs> the overplucking. <laughs> you said that, and I immediately went to like this meme on Instagram. I don't even know why, and it's a picture of. Jennifer Lopez in the nineties and then her now, and then you're right. Those thin (laughs) eyebrows that were just horrendous. And what that's one trend I never succumbed to because I really liked my full brows. And so, yeah, you're right. And I don't want to see those penciled in unevenly arched. I'm with you. (laughs) I, I, I got you on that. I got you on that. Um, how does the forecast information reach the well-known brands? Is it like, you know, do they have to subscribe to some sort of membership? Like how are they directly involved? Because they have to be. Yeah, absolutely. So it can look different for different companies that are out there, but typically I would say it's a membership basis and being able to access, you know, different reporting on that front. See, that's interesting because I didn't know. I just thought, you know, they're not going to give them the information for free, right? So there's got to be, a, there's a way. So how does that way work? So that's interesting. And that also leaves other brands out if, you know, buying this membership is not part of their packaging. They probably have to wait till everyone else finishes production and see what trickles down. Yeah, ultimately, you know, what you see on social media has actually been in production for 
one to two, sometimes even more, depending on the industry, has been in production for many years. And so really being able to understand what's to come in relation to a production cycle is really the key in being able to nail the timing and getting it right so that companies aren't you know, missing out on key moments and being a part of it like others in the space are. Okay. Um, I'm really curious about this because I see this a lot. Um, it's not something I like to do, but I see um, buy now, pay later, pay in installments. You know, like when you see things on Instagram, um, is this targeted to Gen Z or is this targeted for everyone? It's funny you say that it's not something for you in particular, because it's actually not something that I have actually done. I have not. However, of course, we see it everywhere. Uh, really, what I think it does is really it provides an opportunity for maybe that younger generation to be able to buy into something that may be on the more pricey side. Maybe it's in the luxury realm. Maybe it's something that they're saving up for and they'd rather not take a hit all at once. And so really being able to provide different flexible payment options really allows and opens the door for, you know, different generations, different income levels, all the things. So I think, you know, while it's definitely geared towards everybody um, and is there to be a benefit and, you know, allowance for, um, you know, opening the door for more people to be able to shop maybe higher priced items, um, I think tends to cater um, on the younger side. But, you know, I think it's only to be of help. I actually haven't used it, like I had said, but, you know, there's definitely benefit there. I feel like that's so dangerous to undisciplined people. (laughs) I would not want to go down that road. Buy now, pay now is the way I shop, but I get it. Um, You know, I always look at footwear news pretty much every day because I'm just so fascinated with where footwear has gone, especially since the designer sneaker is the new luxury shoe, right? And I'm all about that because I would probably say about eight years ago or something, I was just like, you know what? I'm not running around the city and here. I'm just not doing it. So I'm just going to wear the coolest sneakers with my dresses and with my skirts, but like the coolest sneakers. And then I really enjoyed doing that. So footwear trends always seem to fascinate me, but I wonder who dictates the footwear trends. If the, is it the consumer or is it the designer? Yeah, it's a great question. And partially think that maybe you answered it a little bit without even even realizing. At the end of the day, I think it's, it's a combination of both. I think from the designer realm, there's always going to be the expectation that, you know, high end designers are going to hold a lot of what that influence looks like. What's their creativity? What's their creative spin on things? But at the end of the day, you're not the only one who had that feeling of, you know, why am I, especially being in a city, why am I, jumping on the subway, running back and forth to meetings, climbing stairs, walking for miles in uncomfortable shoes. So, I mean, honestly, at that point in time, it was about time that (laughs) the trend really, um, you know, got there and really that athleisure movement. Um, So very thankful for that, but you're not the only one who felt that way. And I think it's a great example of, you know, what consumers needs, you know, have really taken a a major push into ways that designers had to accommodate that. Um, And if they were, you know, if customers were going to be able to find other designers that were doing sneakers, 
then, you know, another designer would really be missing out if they weren't on the same pulse and doing the same thing. So it was really, I think, a need and demand from the customer standpoint. But it's not to say that there wasn't creative influence from the design room either. But I do think that the athleisure trends definitely can stem from that desire for comfort, especially, um, you know, from the fashion realm and particularly from a city perspective. And then look how it's become now. Yeah, it's like, it's so amazing. Uh, I remember one time, I don't know, maybe this was maybe 2015, 2006, no, or maybe 2013. I don't remember. But I remember I was in a huge room. Uh, Giuseppe Sonati was our guest. And we had, you know, anybody could ask a question and nobody raised their hand. And I was like, like, dudes, like people, do you not get it? But I asked him because he never made sneakers. He always made high heel shoes. And I said, what made you start designing sneakers? And he said that Kanye West came to him and asked, could he design a specific sneaker for him? And that's what made his sneaker business, you know, take off, which is he was really one of the leaders of the forefront of making a luxury, beautiful uh, sneaker for men and women. Um, And he still is. You know, I also remember that when I was a personal shopper, I can't tell you how many Christian Louboutin shoes I sold. And then I can't tell you how many people came back and said these shoes hurt, maybe 90%. But they just wanted to wear them even though their feet hurt so bad. And so I think that sex in the city was so responsible for women thinking, women all over the world thinking that women in New York City run around in, you know, five inch heels all day. And I'm not, it's not to say that we don't wear them, but those, you know, they're called the two hour shoes you or four hour shoes, right? You wear them to dinner when you're going in a car and you're coming back in a car or you're going to an evening event where you have to dance or it's a formal event, right? And then you come back, but it's not like, Sarah Jessica Parker that you're running to take the sixth train in high heels. So, you know. Or if your bag's big enough, then maybe you were able to pack your sneakers in your tote bag. <laughs> um, it's for the better. <laughs> it's just cute. I know that a lot of the trends start here in New York City. So it's interesting for me to see that. And um, I'm always fascinated with footwear. Um, this season... What is your favorite color, whether it's a Pantone color or not? Yeah, absolutely. I it's at, at the end of the day, my favorite color will always be pink. And so there's no surprise that this super vibrant pink has really taken the world by storm. Valentina was an early adapter, uh, if you will, on that. And so it's kind of honed in on that Valentino pink color. Um, We're seeing it everywhere. When I saw you in an event recently in New York, I saw you in that bright pink coat, which of course led to a bonding conversation being that it's my favorite color, but that's no surprise. So what I will offer is another favorite color, um, which is actually a bit more unexpected for me, maybe in the past, but is an orange. We're seeing that also everywhere. I am obsessed with wearing orange. It's all over my Instagram feed it's dresses, it's skirts, it's it's so many things that I'm buying, I'm gravitating to orange. And I think there's a few thought processes around that being that one, I think it has this 
chicness that was probably put in the back of my mind from Hermes. And then two, it's bright, it's fun, and it looks so great with the contrast of other colors. So from neutrals, it looks great with, but also... I love it with a cobalt blue. I love it with a bright emerald green. I love it with a hot pink. So there's so many ways to play up orange from a contrasting perspective, from a monochrome perspective. So that I think is probably my biggest unexpected color that I am obsessing over. Now, the funny thing is that the same thing happened to me this year. Um, It took me by storm because my favorite color is emerald green. And I, since I live in the city, I was looking for a down parka, but that was roomy. I wanted something that had like some kind of room and I didn't want a fur lined parka because I already have one and they're very heavy. So, um, I found one that I was obsessed with, um, from Eve Solomon and I said, Oh, and it was pink and it was a fabulous pink. And I guess I never saw it the year before. So when I went to get it, it was sold out and it was sold out for a year. And when I tell you, I called Aspen, I called everybody around the world. I was like, no, you have to get me. And nobody could find it. And so then I found one and it was orange. And, you know, this is the good thing about having someone else in your life who's stylish, right? Because even I have my go-to people. So I go to my best friend and her husband and I'm like, okay, I really want this jacket. Um, but I, I don't want orange. Like I would, I really want pink. So he's like, we're going to find you the pink. I agree. You should get the pink. And she's like, no, you should get the orange. I was like, I've never worn orange. That's not a color of mine. Blah, 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 blah. Long story short, we couldn't find the pink. And so I got the orange. And then, and and when I tell you it is orange, it's not only orange, it has this huge orange fur collar. And I love this coat. And I never knew orange was such a cool color. And so my best friend gets the credit for that because she's the one who said, get the orange. It's amazing. And how glad that you did because that color, we see it everywhere from fast fashion to high fashion. Like I mentioned, the Hermes call out, of course, they've really, um, they've been, they've been in on the orange for so long. Um, but now, you know, it's really been, um, you know, quite the development and how much of a, an influence it's had today. Well, right before we got on the call, I just got this trucker hat. And because I like to wear these foam trucker hats on the beach or when I'm walking around the city so that all the sun doesn't go in my face. So I just ordered this orange one, but I'm not crazy about it, but. um, How appropriate. And honestly, you know what I'll say when it comes to these bright (laughs) colors that we're seeing, I mean, I referenced the, the cobalt blue and the bright pinks and the bright greens, and we're seeing these brights everywhere just to kind of bring it back a little bit more from that original concept of, saying that these specific trends come from macro ideas. There's also no coincidence, you know, coming out of the pandemic, it was a dark time for so many. It was a uncertain time, not a fun time. And so really being able to showcase, you know, fashion through bright colors, happier times, moving forward, more to look forward to, you know, there's so much reasoning behind color decisions and so, you know, there's no, there's really no coincidence um, in why that's happened. But, you know, color makes up over 80% of consumers' decision to ultimately buy something. I mean, look at that code example you just gave. So it's so 
crucial important that brands get it right. Um, and I'm so here for the bright colors these days. I've also noticed that the graphics are happy. Like I've never, ever seen more happy faces stamped on clothing or bags or knickknacks or whatever it is than I have this year. Like never, like that's such a iconic seventies trend, if you will. But I feel like it exploded because they're trying to get people back to happy, which I'm all on board for all on board for. Yeah. I mean, ultimately I think, you know, there's again, no coincidence with that whole nostalgia concept going hand in hand with that. And, you know, even that Y2K elements in those earlier times. Um, but, you know, I'm also definitely a victim to the smiley faces when it comes to even Drew House. I know you had mentioned Kanye of being a, a big influence from a celebrity perspective, but even Justin Bieber with the smiley faces, another huge one. He's built a whole brand on it. Right. Right. I like Drew House, too. You know, with fast fashion, right? Like Zara, for example, they take everything that's on the runway to in 10 days, it's in all of their stores, right? That's what Mr. Zara is known for. This is what they do. Do you see fast fashion slowing down? Like really? Oh, that's a great question. I think personally, there's always ha- there always has to be a need for fast fashion, in my opinion. I know that there's definitely a lot of challenges when it comes to fast fashion um, from a sustainability standpoint, from ethical standpoint. But speaking just from, you know, personal opinion on really what that looks like, at the end of the day, there's always a need for very affordable. There's always a desire to be wearing the trendy, the cool, the newness, um, and, you know, some trends last across many years and many seasons. Um, and that's still a trend. It's not always just a trendy quick in and out, but sometimes it is. And for fashion lovers, then, you know, there's always a need for fast fashion, I believe, in some level, given that there's always the need for spending less and being a part of what's cool and what's new. So I personally have a really hard time imagining that going anywhere. And of course, there's so many players in that space and what they're doing. But it is very great to see a lot of sustainability developments happening, I think, within those realms um, that I think help because ultimately, you know, the fashion industry is very much known to, you know, have such a huge impact on, you know, sustainability issues that happen in the world. So I think, you know, it's kind of a tough battle, you know? Yeah. And I mean, we we're in a place that we have to, we must, we don't have a choice, but to do better than the number two polluter in the world. And so that affects us globally. It affects our marine life, our soil. So we've got to like be on board with what sustainability is. And that was my next question is what do you personally see being a great development happening in sustainable fashion? Yeah, there's a couple things that, you know, we're seeing more and more of that I think are great. And really every brand has their own way of, you know, what's sustainable to them, what practices are important to them. It's hard to do it all. And, you know, that's an ongoing evolution that I know we'll be continuing to see and be looking at. But 
I am loving the QR codes on interior tag labels. That's uh, one, given that you can scan the QR code and see a trail of information on, you know, what sustainable practices were put into place to ultimately get that dress that you're wearing or whatever it may be. Um, So I think that that's really one great way where you're adapting with digital times. Um, But it's a way to get a lot more information and more in-depth insights on what it is you're wearing and purchasing, um, more than you could ever fit on an actual tag label. So the fact that you can bring that digital, I think, is a really great development. Um, And I think there's probably much more to come on that. But also, we're seeing more uh, buyback programs that are being implemented. Um, I think that's another great one, another great way to be able to Uh, do better because I think it's very easy, unfortunately, for people to want to get rid of something. You know, the trash is right there, but obviously that's a horrible solution, but it's also easiest. So I think the more that brands can really think about how can they make it easy for consumers where it's a no brainer to do better and make better choices uh, with their clothes when they're done with it. So of course that goes hand in hand with um, there's been such a huge boom around the consignment market and luxury resale places. And so all of that, I think, is a a great solution to a lot of those issues. Um, But, you know, buyback programs, I think, is is another great one. I agree with you. I think they're awesome, especially when, you know, these brands can collect whatever it is. And there's so many things they can do with it. They can have some specific limited edition capsule collection for this season. I mean, I feel like the the possibilities are endless with that. There's so many ways to be creative and that's what they do. They have to reinvent themselves every day to stay relevant as a brand. So yeah, I think that the buyback programs are absolutely fantastic. I totally support that. Uh, Last question. What trend do you really like and would love to see more of? Ooh, great question. Um, Right now, I think also going hand in hand with dressing up again, doing fun things again. I have always, it's not new, but gravitated to the sparkle, the feather, the glitz and the glam and the dressing up. There's such, um, there's such a need and desire for that with the wedding boom that's happened after so much postponings of weddings. People are willing to you know, dress up again and wanting to go out and travel and wear fun things and dress up like they hadn't before. So I'm so here for that. Um, And so I think being able to express that through sparkle and feathers and all the pretty fun things, I mean, what's not to love? Yeah, that's good. And it's inspiring to see people really like come to the table, come to the event, like dress your best. One thing that I would love to see more that I see all the time, especially in New York, and it's so inspiring to me is that I see all shapes, sizes, colors, you know, of people, not only women, but men and women really looking their best. Like I see women with great haircuts and great, you know, just great style. And yes, everyone in the city is taking selfies everywhere. But, you know, people are taking um, a certain amount of pride in looking their best. And I appreciate that because your confidence just comes out organically when you look your best. So to see more of that, I think it's like a little bit contagious around the city. And to see men really getting on board and having fun with it really makes me happy. So I just hope to see 
more of that. Um, and, and all ages too, all ages. Yeah. Ages no. and genders. It's so great to see such a crossover with more unisex. And, you know, there's so much developments on that, that, you know, I will never get sick of. And, you know, I'm all here for it and love seeing what people are doing on the streets because ultimately that's inspiring all of us. And then at the end of the day, even when it comes to the work from home, I said this to my fiance, you know, I think it was even just yesterday. It's like, even when so many people are working from home, it's like they're wanting to go out and dress up because if they're not dressing up to go to work, then they've got to dress up to go out to dinner and, you know, go out, whatever there is on going on on the weekend after work, really taking full advantage of those moments to, you know, bring out all the fun stuff again. It's so great to see. Even the fun casual wear. Like I walk on Park Avenue and I see women that are 60 years old, but look amazing, like wearing Nike dunks. And I'm like, really? Like, it's so cool to watch, like all the cultures just intertwine because it's New York right? There's not like all, you can separate the cultures if you want to, but there's not, there's no separation of culture. We all are influenced by each other. And I just love to see how the influence just crosses boundaries and age boundaries. And it's just so, it's what makes New York so much fun. So I'm, I'm here for it too. Sophie, thank you so much for coming on today. I really hope my listeners, in fact, I'm sure that they got something um, from this and that's what I want. I just want people to come and learn something and bring a friend and share this with someone. And like I said, we all live a styled life together and we're at such a great time where people really care about their homes, the way their homes look, and they care about the way they look. And so just taking this um, initiative to feel good in your space and feel good in your clothing is um, something I'm all about and all for. So I thank you again for sharing your knowledge, your wisdom, your personal thoughts. Um, it was so much fun having you. Thank you so much for having me, Eliza. It's so great to be here. If anyone wants to just find you and say, oh, my, I just want to see who Sophie is. I want to see her style. I want to check her out. Where can they find you? Yes, you can find me on my Instagram. So that's Sophie Weidhaus, but I'll spell it S-O-P-H-I-E-W-E-I-D-H-A-A-S. That's two A's, one S. <laughs> <laughs> I'm used to saying that one. <laughs> Me too. With my last name, I have two double letters. So I have to say double. It's not a mistake. So I get it. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Sophie. Thanks for being a part of the podcast today. Remember that you can always bring a friend and check us out on Apple iTunes or wherever you stream your favorite podcast. This is the Wardrobe Boss Podcast. I thank you for being here. I thank my guest, Sophie, and everyone have a wonderful day. Wardrobe Boss is hosted and produced by Eliza Perilla. Executive producer, Ken Johnson. Find the Wardrobe Boss podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Wardrobe Boss is a mean old line media production.